You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 54 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for March 2018. So a few weeks ago, or, well, two months ago, for the first time, I strayed off the straight and narrow of being all factual and stuff, and I went into the marshy morass of having opinions and thoughts and philosophies on things. And uh, much to my surprise, I got lots of really positive feedback on the episode so uh, I'm going to do it again. Um, I was cycling along listening to podcasts as I do, using bone conduction headphones, so it's nice and safe, by the way. Uh, and I found myself getting very interested in a discussion on a uh, photography podcast I love to listen to, which is Shutter Time with Sid and Mac. And in fact, Sid and Mac had a guest on, um, a voice very familiar to listeners of this show, Antonio Rosario. So uh, Sid, Mac and Antonio were discussing the... Um, fraught minefield of ethics and photography. And as I say, I find myself with strong opinions on the matter. Uh, and initially I was sort of, you know, having an argument in my head and I thought, well, maybe I should, you know, take some time, gather my thoughts, try to be coherent and sane, and then record my thoughts in an episode. Uh, so for better or worse, this is sort of how I feel in the whole mad morass of ethics and photography. So the first thing I want to do is I want to lay out my really big picture framework about how I think about things that make me go, ugh, right, which is a vague description, but you'll understand in a moment. Because I think where something falls in this categorization system really should affect how you react. Do you jump right up on the highest soapbox you can find, climb onto a moral high horse resting on top of that soapbox and have at it with all of your might and all of your rhetorical powers? Or do you just go, do you know something? I really don't like that. Yes, you have the right to do it. But I think you're being a dick. And, you know... Different things fall in different places. So anyway, so the the three big questions to me, the sort of you know, the first the first one is the easy one, because it's almost objective, but it's still a bit subjective. The first question is, is it legal? Now, in an ideal world, laws would be so obvious that there was no ambiguity at all. But of course, the fact that, you know, the reason we have the concept of a judge is precisely because no matter how well we try, we humans can't write laws that are not open to interpretation. But nonetheless, compared to everything else we talk about today, the law is the least fuzzy, the least ambiguous of all of the things. And it's generally speaking the easiest question of all to ask. You know, this thing that makes me go, or, you know, we somehow cranky, you know, is it legal? So that's the first question you ask yourself. And if the answer is no, that's blatantly illegal, well, it's quite easy a lot of the time to, you know, to justifiably say, well, I really don't think this kind of thing should be tolerated because we literally have laws against it. Uh, But actually, that's often not all that useful a question because really the ultimate question is, is it moral? Which is the second of my two questions. And this is... Way, 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 way more of a value judgment. And different people, different good 
honest, moral, you know, upright individuals can have a completely different opinion on whether the same thing is moral or not. So how do you decide if something is moral? Um, because just saying, is it moral or not, is, is so, 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 so vague. And the word morals is horribly abused. Uh, so to me, the question of morality is simply the question of harm versus good. Does something do less harm than good? And maybe something does no harm at all, in which case the answer is always yes. This is perfectly fine. It doesn't harm anyone. Um, but really, if we're talking about morality, it has to be not a question of whether my God thinks this or your God thinks that. It has to be a question of, does this do harm? Does this do good? And how do I balance the good and the harm? So I think it's harmful to take exploitative or arguably exploitative photographs of someone's suffering. I don't, I, I find it horrible. Mm-hmm. That gets on to my third point in a minute. Um, to take a picture of someone who's suffering. But if you're taking, if you're taking that picture for the purpose of personal enrichment, or if you're taking that picture for the purpose of getting urgently needed aid to people in a war zone or in a famine or something like that, well, that does seem rather different to me. So, you know, the photograph has the same amount of harm in both cases because you're exploiting someone, uh, or arguably exploiting someone. But the good done is really quite different depending on whether you're a, um, you know, you're out there with a with a charity group or something trying to raise awareness of a problem or whether you're out there to make personal profit. So from a moral point of view, they seem awfully different to me because it really is down to, is the photograph here, you know, the good can offset the harm, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. So to me, that's what I'm always thinking about. Is something moral? I'm always thinking about who does it hurt? Does it do any good? And if it does hurt someone, does the hurt cause, or does the good done outweigh the hurt caused? And that, so, you know, so open to argument. But at least if you think about it that way, you can have an argument because you can sit there and you can say, like, you know, one of the things that really makes me cranky is when religious groups completely abuse the word moral to say something like, you know, homosexuality is immoral. What harm does it do? Well, no harm to anyone. <clears throat> you know, stop it. You know, that's not what moral means. That's just you being all judgmental. Stop it. Um, that's my opinion anyway. So the third question then is, is this just something I don't like? And there's absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever with not liking something. There are lots of things that I don't like that are neither illegal nor immoral, but I still don't like them. And that's okay. Um, And I'm perfectly happy to express my dislike. But the thing is, if the only reason you're ugged out by something is because you dislike it, not because it's, you know, doing harm, not because it's immoral, not because it's illegal, but just because you don't like it, well, your response should probably be in line with that reality, that categorization of this thing that makes you cranky, right? So you shouldn't jump up on the highest moral horse, or the highest high horse placed upon the highest soapbox if actually what has you cranky is just that it's something you don't like. You know, as I say, by all means, tell people you don't like it. But your reaction should be different. Your reaction should be proportionate. And, you know, my gut instinct is often to go, and then I go, hang on a second. Oh, it's just something I don't like. You know, I'll still complain about it. I'll still point the finger. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll still be cranky about it. But 
I won't be all self-righteous about it because you really can't. If it's just something you don't like, well, it's just something you don't like. And sometimes it just actually, you know, if, if, if it's something that you don't like that doesn't actually affect you in any way, well, then maybe it's just okay to just, you know, live and let live and just, you know, yeah, whatever, you know. There are so many things I'm not into. If you are, have at it. You know, don't yuck my yum, etc. All of those, you know, stereotypes going there. And sometimes you just kind of, I just sort of find myself going, oh, I think that's the stupidest thing ever. It's like, yeah, but someone else likes it. So, you know, someone else likes it, does no harm. Yeah, whatever. You know, have at it. Whereas some people do seem to feel a need to tell everyone that they think you're being stupid. You know, I think it's the silliest hobby ever. I mean, train spotting. <laughs> it's like, why do you need to tell me that you think train spotting is stupid? You like some sort of soap opera that I think is the stupidest thing ever or whatever. It's like, you know, there's no point. You know, so if it's just something you don't like, it's so, so, so different to something which is immoral or illegal. And I just think, you know, if you get into the habit of figuring out why it is you don't like, you know, why it is that something gives you an emotional reaction, is it because I find it immoral? Is it because I find it illegal? Or is it because I just don't like it? Just react appropriately, you know. Respond in in proportion to which of those three questions you answer yes to. And you may answer yes to all three of them, right? You may This may be illegal, this may be immoral, and you may really dislike it. But it may just be the case that it's perfectly legal, perfectly moral, you just don't like it. And that's a, obviously a very, very different kettle of fish. And the other very, very obvious uh, thing that goes in here is that, in theory, in an ideal world, the overlap between things that are illegal and things that are immoral should be 100%, right? Everything immoral should be illegal in the, you know, an idealised, perfect judicial system. And every, you know, so everything that's illegal should be immoral, and arguably everything that's immoral should be illegal. Uh, but even the first of those is almost never achieved, and the second of those is probably impossible, right? It's, I don't think you can write laws to make everything immoral illegal. Uh, but you should aim to have your laws such that everything illegal is immoral. Uh, but in reality, that's not how things work out. Um, at the moment, you know, and I mean, just thinking about these kind of things, I don't particularly think that, you know, copyright laws are particularly moral at the moment. Um, I don't think that um, privacy laws are particularly moral at the moment. You know, it is... Uh, this varies obviously massively from um, jurisdiction to jurisdiction because I think European law is ahead of American law when it comes to privacy matters. But even there, even in Europe, we're in no sort of utopia. Don't you know? Don't cut yourself. But I, I do think that a lot of the data collection that is a hundred percent legal these days is deeply unethical too. So you know, it's just because something is legal doesn't make it morally okay, and just because something is morally okay doesn't make it legal necessarily. It'd be nice if we lived in a world where those things were true, but I don't think that is actually the planet we live on at all at all. Personally speaking, I think the thing that's likely to make me the most cranky is when someone breaks what I will call Wheaton's Law. I'm a huge fan of Will Wheaton, and I think he said it best when he summed up pretty much, you know, oh, so much of morality, really. Just don't be a dick. You know, I, I think it was... Um, Flickr's original terms of service had a similar approach, you know, don't be that guy. And, you know, that is one of the things that, we, if you want to make me cranky, if you want to end up in something in the category that makes that I don't like, but is not necessarily moral or illegal, just being a bit of a dick is very, very, very likely to, to, to set me off, right? That is, I think most of what makes me cranky can indeed be summed up very simply by Wheaton's Law, you know, just don't be a dick. And I think the reason for that 
is because whenever someone with a vaguely fancy-looking camera around their neck breaks Wheaton's law, well, at that point, you suddenly become memorable to everyone around you, and you become associated with everyone with a camera in the entire planet ever. So every time some idiot with a camera behaves like a dick, every single one of us photographers our life becomes that little bit worse. So you could, if you really wanted to stretch things, say that this is a moral question because you're doing actual harm to photographers. But it's fairly weak as a moral argument. It just really makes me cranky when people give all photographers a bad name by just being, you know, antisocial, barging a queue, having a self-righteous attitude. You know, and I think at the root of it all... Yeah, I think at the root of it all is I really, really don't like, you know, smug entitlement. I have a right to do blah, blah, blah. It's like, yes. Yes, you do. But having a right to do something and doing it are not really the same thing. You know, there are many, many deeply dickish things that you have the legal right to do. I am still going to call you out for being a dick. Right? It, it's the set of things that you have the right to do. And things that it is okay, you know, things that you should expect to do without being criticized for is not the same whatsoever, right? You can just showing up, just being an inconsiderate so and so with a giant big tripod blocking everyone's enjoyment of something, right? I mean, recently there was a there's a, a national park in America was banned tripods with large groups of people for the simple fact that these large groups went up, blocked the trails. And just made a nuisance of themselves. That is that is classic, you know, Wheaton's Law territory. You know, yes, you have the right to go up there with your tripod and block everyone off. But you know something? You're being a dick. And what is the end result of a minority of people doing that? Well, the end result is all of a sudden, having your tripod up there has fallen into the this is now illegal category. Why? Well, because of a few people being inconsiderate, you know. This is why we can't have nice things. And yes, you absolutely have the right to do those kind of things. But I'm still going to call you out for it. Because every single time someone with a camera around their neck is inconsiderate, it really does make life more difficult for every single photographer out there. And I really don't like it, and I... Arguably, I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about this whole concept, but I see it an awful lot because I'm a keen cyclist. And you ask your average motorist, what do you think of cyclists? Your average motorist will think that every cyclist is a red light breaking, law ignoring, danger to humanity. Now, is this because all cyclists are red light ignoring, inconsiderate, dangerous to humanity? No. It's because the only cyclists that come to a driver's attention are the ones who flagrantly smashed their way through Wheaton's Law. And you end up with a confirmation bias going on. And it is probably the case that the majority of cyclists do not break lead lights, do not, in fact, behave like bleep holes on the road. But they just pass through your average driver's peripheral vision unnoticed, unrecorded, unseen effectively. Not actually unseen, but just, you know, not 
they don't make an impression. They just pass by like a random shrub. But the ones who are inconsiderate, they make a lasting impression. And the same thing happens with people with cameras dropped around their necks and people with giant big tripods and people with great big stonking lenses doing icky things. It's, you harm all of us when you just, when you behave badly. And that makes me really, really cranky. So I think that is, if you want to push my buttons, just be inconsiderate while in possession of a camera. Or tell me that it's okay for you to do something inconsiderate and horrible because, quote-unquote, I have the right. And look, all right, we are very, very clearly, we are not in the, is this illegal or is the, in this moral? We are now in the, do you just not like it territory? And I'm just, you know, this is the stuff I don't like. If you want to make me cranky, that is the most surefire way to make me cranky, is break Wheaton's law. Um, Probably something that I spend a lot more time thinking about, though, is how do I decide, you know, something happens, there's a question comes up, someone proposes a law, or someone suggests that something should become illegal, and you hear a discussion about it on a photography podcast, what questions do I use to try figure out how I feel? To try figure out if I'm in favour of this law or against this law? And I've been thinking about this, well, basically for two weeks since listening to episode 184 of Shutter Time. And I think ultimately, for me personally, I can distill all of that complexity down to just two key questions. And if I can figure out the answers to those two, three, those two key questions, I'll generally land at my opinion on whether I think the law or the proposal is a good idea or a bad idea. And to me, it comes down, basically, when I'm judging the morality of something to do with photography, the two questions I dig into deeply are, is there deception going on? And is there exploitation going on? And the same photo, the, the, the same abstract photograph can end up on the wrong side of both of those questions, can end up on both sides of both of those questions. So if you take five photographs and artfully and skillfully composite them together into a beautiful image and you sell that image as a beautiful piece of art, there is absolutely positively no deception going on there. There is, in fact, absolutely nothing I can find objectionable in any way to that. If, on the other hand you are a journalistic photographer working for a prestigious, reputable news agency and are being trusted to honestly tell the world what's happening and you Photoshop an extra missile into a sky or a gun into someone's hand or you Photoshop away a gun or you composite a bunch of images to make it look like someone did something they didn't do. Well, that's the same thing as an art, you know, an artist, you know, using those techniques. But you know something? It's not the same thing. Because the intention here is deception. If you're setting out not to create a work of art, but to deceive, that's completely different, even though you're using exactly the same techniques. So I guess what that comes down to is that no technique is either moral or immoral. Techniques are amoral. They don't have a morality. 
where the morality comes into play is what are you doing with it? Are you using the cloning tool to deceive? Or are you using the cloning tool to make something beautiful? You know, very, very different things. Same tool. You know, you can extend that to everything. Are you using this hammer to build a house for a homeless person? Or are you using this hammer to bludgeon someone to death? Right? The hammer isn't moral or immoral. Your use of the hammer is moral or immoral. And the same is true of so many things in photography. And then exploitation is, again, exploitation is a really difficult one sometimes because I have a... Like, if someone is in a position where they have no power and the person with the camera has the power, then there is always a real danger that there's exploitation going to go on. Like, when you have a power imbalance, that's where all the red flags go up for exploitation. And so if you're a for-profit photographer who goes around seeking out homeless people to take heart-wrenching pictures of them so that you can sell them to make money, I find that exploitative. But as I said earlier, if you do exactly the same thing, you shoot exactly the same pictures because you're a campaigner for rights or for homeless shelters or for, you know, helping people... Well, that identical picture has just gone from being horribly exploitative to being an extreme force for good in the world. And now I feel completely different about the morality of that photography. So while it's easy to say, well, as far as I'm concerned, it all comes down to whether or not there's deception going on or whether or not there's exploitation going on. Very easy to say those two statements. Figuring out whether or not that's true can often be extremely difficult. So yeah, on the one hand, I've managed to distill my thoughts down really efficiently. On the other hand, it, it's everything is still a case by case. But at least I have a structure to have a mental argument with myself and change my mind 50 times, which I am prone to do. Uh, and I think really an awful lot of this has been triggered um, by a recent absolutely beautiful piece of art called Moonlit Dreams by... Well, unfortunately, he is a controversial photographer, Peter Lick, but I don't, I don't comprehend why he is controversial. You know, he creates absolutely stunningly beautiful images and sells them for really quite impressive money because people really want those images. And people are angry at them. I mean, that photograph's not worth a million dollars. Well, clearly it is, because it was offered for sale at a million dollars, and someone bought it for a million dollars. So clearly it is worth that. Otherwise, it wouldn't have sold. I can't help but think that there's just gallon loads of begrudgery afoot in the wind. Like, what are, you know, how is it immoral to create a beautiful piece of art and sell it? It's certainly not illegal. But for some reason, it really does seem to trip up an awful lot of people's, I just don't like this. And I don't get it. So, you know, that's I think that's a secondary point. But everyone seems to just love getting all frothy over Peter Lake's work. And I'm sitting there going, nope, looks like really nice art to me. You know, ultimately, photography is about art, in my opinion. And this, this chap is doing some amazing work. I don't, just like I don't care what brand of brush Picasso used. I really don't care what photographic techniques Peter Lick uses to make his beautiful images. What I care about is what the image looks like when he's finished. And in the case of Moonlit Dreams, uh, link in show notes, by the way, over at lessestalk.ie, in the case of Moonlit Dreams, the result is gorgeous. I mean, you know, I'm an astronomy buff. I'm a nature lover. 
this photograph is completely up my street, right? It's, it's exactly the kind of thing I would love. And I do. I think it's gorgeous. And the reaction of some people is, Ooh, photoshopped. <laughs> so, of course it is. It's a piece of art. It didn't fall out of the camera like that. At the very, very, very least, it had its levels adjusted, its colours adjusted, it was probably cropped. Like, at the very, 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 very least, every artistic photograph has had a basic massaging in Photoshop. But so what if he also used other techniques? He is an artist doing art, and the end product is an amazing piece of art. What are you getting your panties in a bunch over? Sorry, it's quite clear where I fall on this argument, really, isn't it? Um, but of course, anyway, so the the, the whole Peter Lick thing, it, you know, the Moonlit Dreams photograph, it raises the bigger question, is what we will call, for want of a better term, photoshopping, okay? And I feel very, very strongly, basically, that unless there's deception going on, of course it's okay. Because... I would be of the opinion um, that photography is an art first. It's a flat recording mechanism, a subset of the time. That's the exception, not the rule. You know, this is straight out of the camera is not my default assumption on looking at any photographic image. My default assumption is this is a creation that someone has been creative with and I should judge it like so so basically art is a default and flat unemotional straight recording of the world is secondary that's the exception right of all of the photography in the world the vast majority of it is creative and journalistic photography is not the rule to which art is the exception it's exactly the other way around Art, creativity is the rule. Flat honesty is the exception. The photojournalists are the exception. And so anyone who is not presenting their work as being a work of journalism, my assumption is it's a work of art. It's a creation. It's something that they're trying to invoke feeling. The reason the image was taken was to capture a feeling, to capture a mood, to share a feeling, to share a mood, to to share a love, to share a hate. It's emotion. It's driven by emotion, not driven by cold, hard fact. The vast, 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 vast amount of times that someone presses the shutter, they are doing so driven by emotion. And so to me, the default is always that you assume a photograph isn't straight, that a photograph isn't emotionless, that a photograph isn't a flat recording of the universe. That's the exception. And so when you look at the world in terms of the photojournalist being the exception, not the rule, then, you know, my views on Peter Lake just completely fall out of that, right? Why would I ever assume it? Why would I make the assumption that it wasn't a composite? It is a composite, by the way. So what? It's really well done. Um, you know, so why? Yeah, so basically... It's an art first. The art of arting comes before it being like a photocopier of reality, in my opinion. And that's how I look at photography, and so that's how I decide whether or not there's deception going on. Peter Lick is not being deceptive, because at no point did he say, I am doing a straight journalistic photograph here, therefore the default assumption is this is a creation. And it is, so it's all okay. Did he exploit the moon? No, I don't think so. So there's certainly no exploitation going on. Um... And 
I think Antonio in the podcast uh, that triggered me to think about all of this classified documentary photography as being like a subset of sort of journalistic photography in that in documentary photography had to be straight too. And there is certainly truth that documentary photography can be straight and can be a flat, factual, cold recording of reality. But I don't actually think it has to be. Because I think an awful lot of the world's, certainly of my favourite documentary photography, is anything but flat and emotionless and anything but unartistic and unstaged. And um, I will give you my favourite example of that, which is the wonderful photographer O. Winston Link, who documented, undeniably he documented, the dying days of steam trains, of steam, you know, steam railways in America. And I, I'll have a link in the show notes to the Wikipedia page on O. Winston Link. I know I've mentioned him many times over the years on this show because... Well, look, I'm a, I'm a railway buff, I'm a steam buff, I'm a photography buff. Oh, Winston Link is my people. Um, and when you see his work, I mean, it is stunning. And he is documenting the end of steam in America. But his work is not flat. His work is highly artistic, highly creative, highly staged. Um, massive lighting setups, staging of foregrounds. I mean, it is not journalistic photography but it is documentary photography and i don't have any issue with it whatsoever so you know it's interesting anyway that some of these pictures can be you know really big and so with all of that said when i come back to how do i judge moon you know how, how would i judge um peter lake's moonlit dreams photo well, i'll tell you what the questions i ask myself are things like does it capture the majesty of our universe? Oh, heck yes, it does. Oh, it's such a lovely image. The moon, it's amazing. Is it beautiful? Yes, yes, it is to my eyes. And is it well executed? Yeah. You know, if you apply vast wedges of logic and science, you can figure out that the technique used was, comp- was compositing multiple images. But you know something, when you look at the final picture, you don't think to yourself, oh, that's a composite. Your first thought is, oh, wow, that's gorgeous. And you have to really go looking to find out how it was done. And that, to me, is a sign of art in action, right? If you if you can tell, or if you have to be told how the picture was made in order to appreciate it, if someone has said to you, oh, that was a really difficult age to show, there were 15 stops worth of dynamic range in that image. If you have to tell me that for me to go, oh, okay, that's nice, then it's not actually a nice picture. And so ultimately, again, to me, it's art first. And when I'm looking at a photograph there, the question I'm asking myself, and the absolute furthest thing from my mind, apart from, you know, from the point of view of, oh, if I wanted to do something like this, how would I? Whether or not it's a composite is the furthest thing from my mind. Only when I get to the sort of secondary level of, I wish I could capture a photograph like that. I wish I could create an image like that. I wish I could produce something so beautiful. I wish I could capture that same emotion. Then I started asking myself questions like, I wonder how he did that. that. That's utterly, utterly tertiary. Not even secondary, it's tertiary. So, you know, that, as I say, that's, that's sort of how I think about the universe. So, um, I guess I'll sum up and just say, you know, my advice for what it's worth, which may be very, very little, is whenever you're about to type an angry tweet, 
take a moment to think, is it legal? Is it moral? Or do I just not like it? And by all means, continue to tweet. Right, Whichever the answer is, continue to tweet. But just adjust your level of outrage to match the answers to those questions would be my suggestion. Um, when it comes to figuring out whether or not you're in favour or against a change in the law, you know, my question would be, is it moral or not? Is this making the law closer to morality or further away from morality? And when it comes to morality, you know, my big questions are, is this deceptive? Is this exploitative? How much harm is being done versus how much good is being done? Does the good offset the harm? Kind of, you know, and they're all value judgments. And at the end of the day, Will Wheaton said it best. I can pretty much sum up this entire podcast, whatever length it is. It's, it's over half an hour of me blathering away into a microphone. The entire thing can be summed up by Will Wheaton. Please, everyone, don't be a dick. Now, with that out of the way, let us just say this. First off, right, I, I really want your feedback in this episode because as much as the last one was a wee bit controversial where I got all personal, I have a feeling this one is like really likely to be controversial. So an informed, considered critique would be appreciated. Um, if your only objection is, I think you're an idiot, yeah, whatever, keep it to yourself. I'm really not going to care. Uh, but really, honestly, a, a, a genuine discussion is of great interest to me. Um. In fact, if you have reasoned and strong opinions that are different to mine, that's particularly interesting. And if you have, you know, rationally expressible, reasoned, well-thought-out arguments that go against me and you're not afraid of talking into a microphone, please get in touch and we can have a follow-up on air. Because if you're the guy, you know... I said, I want a screaming match. What I want is a reasoned, rational discussion. And if you can do that, and if I've excited you enough to disagree with me in that kind of an adult way, I want to have that disagreement with you. I want to do it on the podcast because that way everyone gets to learn and we get to have some great content. So, uh, you know, there's a contact form at letstalk.ie or you can email me uh, podcasting at bartificer.net, B-A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-R.net. Um, I mentioned the webpage, so I guess we'll we'll go in, we'll move into plugging mode now. Um, so this show is one hundred percent listener supported. I do not have advertisers. I do not have sponsors. Nothing like that. It is you guys and me are the only people that make this show go. And the reason for that is simply because I want to be able to express my opinions honestly without there being any question of me being in someone's pocket, of me being in any way consciously or subconsciously biased by people financially, you know, corporations giving me money. And I feel very strongly about that kind of thing, and therefore I want to do listener-supported shows. And I have the luxury that you guys make that possible. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Um, the fact that there are listeners out there who are happy to contribute their hard-earned money to help me do this. Is ama- It never ceases to amaze me, and I genuinely appreciate it. Um, and the same is true of people who aren't in a position or don't want to contribute financially, but who simply tell their friends, you know, tweet about the show, you know, share the show, rate the show. That is That is support, every bit as much as financial support. And it is every bit as much appreciated. You know, there are different 
different ways to help. If you, know, if you like the show, there are different ways to help, and I appreciate everyone who helps in any way. From a purely practical point of view, though, the simple fact is that without the Patreon supporters, this show would not exist because there are bills to be paid and the Patreon money is reliable. It's a reliable income that I can budget around. Therefore, I can make logical, rational, sensible plans about the outgoings I can afford to have for the podcast. I can make the two line up and hey, presto, we have an actual show that actually downloads and actually works. So from a purely practical point of view, I always, always, always want to especially thank the Patreon supporters um, and there's a link to support the show via Patreon at lessashtalk.ie because at the end of the day, your support is vital to this continuing to exist. Okay, so lessashtalk.ie, support the show, all the links are there. Please, please, please do reply in a reasoned and well-thought-out way to this episode. I mean, these are hot topics. This is not... It, this is not easy. If this, is, you know, if this was easy, this would be really, really boring. It's not easy. You know, is some specific thing okay? Is some specific thing not okay? It's hard. It's very hard. And I think we learn a lot by thinking deeply about it. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that at the end of the day, when people listen to this, they think about these things. And if that's the case, then this has been a success. And if that's not the case, I've just waffled into a microphone for forty odd minutes or whatever it is for no good reason. Oh well. Anyway, until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. I don't know who you are, but I will find you. And when I do... You had better be listening to the Tech Fan Podcast, because if you're not, well, you may not live long enough to regret it. Remember, it's called the Tech Fan Podcast. Listen, and you won't regret it.